So take your seat. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible in front of you. We'll be looking at Mark chapter 9 in the first eight verses. Uh, this is, can be found on page 844 of our Pew Bible. Uh, Pastor Barkley has been going through the book of Exodus on Sunday morning, so we're uh, pausing these uh, couple of weeks, uh, three weeks that he's away. And this morning we'll be looking at the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. So Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 8. Hear now the word of our Lord. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, It is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. As far the reading of God's word, would you please pray with me? Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us this morning as we consider this passage before us, what a unique time and event in history. And I ask by your Spirit that you would apply it to our hearts to strengthen our faith and turn our eyes to you. We need your help in this, and I pray that you would grant it in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading this passage and thinking about it this week, I was thinking about Uh, Mountaintop experiences. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience? It could be literal or figurative. I think of the many times that I've gone to the mountains in western North Carolina. My family goes up to uh, Mount Mitchell State Park uh, often, regularly. It's the highest point east of the Mississippi River. It's one of the places in this world that I truly love. But then a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go out to the Rocky Mountains, and I hiked around Rocky Mountain National Park, and I thought, oh, now that's a mountain. Now you might think of other mountaintop experiences that you've had in your life. Maybe it's your wedding day, or a graduation from school, or perhaps you hit a hole-in-one the other day on the golf course. You feel like, I have reached the top of a mountain. Isn't this great? Well, these verses that we have before us this morning is a true mountaintop experience in both senses. Peter, James, and John, they, they go with Jesus to, a top, to the top of a high mountain. And as they get up there and when they arrive at the top of the mountain, they witness one of the most unique experiences in all of human history. 
Jesus's, before their eyes, Jesus' clothes became intensely white. It says here, whiter than you could bleach them. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus was so bright, his, white, his, his clothes were so white that they were dazzling white. Made to think of a flash of lightning in a dark night sky. And the Gospel of Matthew tells us that Jesus' face shone like the sun. Have you ever tried to look at the sun before? It will blind you. You can't stare at it. You have to look away. Jesus' face became so bright that to look at Him straight on would blind you. And then, as that happens, Moses and Elijah show up. Now Moses has been dead for over 1,500 years at this point. And Elijah had been taken up into heaven with chariots of fire uh, hundreds of years before as well. And yet here they were standing next to the transfigured Jesus talking with Him. And then, if that weren't enough, a cloud descends and overshadows them. And in that cloud they hear the voice of of God. And he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now that's what I call a mountaintop experience. Think about that long enough and you just begin to wonder, what would it have been like to have been there with James and John and Peter? What would it have been like if I could have been there with them? But I want you to know today this morning, that as great and as important and as magnificent an experience as that was, it is even greater to be here this morning. To be here rather than on that mountain with Moses and Elijah speaking with the transfigured Jesus. Now I'll come back to this, but as we look at our passage, I want to ask a couple of questions with you. To help us to understand what is going on and to come to this reality of God's grace to you today. So the first question that I have is, what is the point of this transfiguration? What is the point of this passage of of Jesus' transfiguration? Well, I began reading in verse 1 and some commentators and people say that The transfiguration passage only begins in verse 2, and verse 1 doesn't really belong here. But actually, I think that verse 1 is a crucial verse, because it joins together what happens right before this event. Verse 1, he says, And I said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. At the end of Mark chapter 8, Jesus has just been speaking about his return at the end of history. Speaking about coming back in in glory, in his Father's glory, and that he will come with angels with him, his holy angels. So he's talking about the, the end of days, the return of Christ in his full glory. And then he tells his disciples that the day will come when Christ will come in glory and no one will despise him. No one will be ashamed of him. 
No one will look at him and mock him in his humanity anymore. He will be seen uh, in his fullness and he will be exalted and he will be worshipped King of kings and Lord of lords. He says, this is coming, disciples. In verse 38 of chapter 8, Jesus says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, then I will be ashamed of them on that day. Begin to hear that. Imagine being in the disciples' shoes and think, when will that day come? We've been following you and we've seen how people have walked away from you, have misunderstood you and have, have, have looked at you and think, you can't be the Messiah. And then in verse 1, Jesus tells them that some of you will be killed for my sake. You're going to be killed for my sake. But for some of you, that's not going to happen until you see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This moment in which Jesus is teaching his disciples about his work, his ministry, his destiny of what all of humanity will be coming to. And then he turns to them and said, but you're going to suffer before that happens. And then what he does, he says, but I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to comfort you before you endure your suffering. Before I return in glory. Before all is said and done, I'm, I'm going to help you. And he gives them assurance. Think of the original readers of the Gospel of Mark, likely uh, the Romans. And they should have read this and they would have found comfort in Christ even in the middle of their troubles, of their hardships and their sorrows. To be a Christian in Rome in the first century was not an easy task. It would have been hard to be uh, one who endures persecution simply for your faith. It's something that we don't really grasp so well here in Charlotte today. But Jesus says, though you suffer, I want to show you something. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will return in His Father's glory accompanied by the holy angels. When He takes Peter and James and John up onto this mountain, what He does is He gives them and He gives you and me a glimpse of His glory. He gives us a glimpse of that glory that's natively His. And so He's encouraging His disciples here. He is giving them a hope that is a real hope. After six days, Jesus takes the disciples up on the mountain. And he says, but for this moment, I'm going to give you a glimpse of the ultimate and transcendent glory that belongs to your Savior. The disciple Peter, who is one of these three disciples up there, will later write in his epistles, later at the back of your Bible, he will say that they were eyewitnesses of Christ's majesty. Eyewitnesses. We got to see the majesty of Christ firsthand. And so we see this transfiguration. It was this momentary display of the glory and the power of the Son of God. And He invites His disciples to come to see and witness and behold Him. We see that He even does this for His disciples. 
Four times in our verses, it shows us. Look in verse 2. He says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain. At the end of verse 2, And he was transfigured before them. And then in verse 4, And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And then in verse 7, And the cloud overshadowed them. 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 This is all for them. This is for the disciples. And this is for the church. To encourage. To strengthen us. Why do we need this? Why do we need this uh, story of the transfigured Jesus Christ? Well, I think it has to do with what we need most. When our faith begins to falter. What do you need most? When you are tempted to turn away from Jesus Christ. When your lives are filled with troubles and with difficulties. What about those moments of grief and anguish, even when death lies before us in view? What, what do we need? What do we need in those moments? We need to see And know the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Think of the disciples up until this point in their their discipleship under Jesus. They've only really seen Jesus in his ordinary humanity. You know, the world looked at him, they were following him, but the world looked at him and treated him just like anyone else. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Normal, poor, unimportant looking sort of guy. But on this mountain, his deity shone through. What are your needs today? I'm sure you have many needs. For all of you, there's a lot going on in your life, whether it's bills that you have to pay, difficulty at work, hardships in your marriages, or friends that are turning away from the Lord. But what do you need? Most of all, in all of those things, you need to grasp the transcendent glory of Jesus Christ. When you struggle with temptations, when life becomes difficult and hard and overwhelming and your heart is filled with grief and sorrow. There have been times in your life where you've yelled out, Lord, this is too hard. Lord, this is too hard. I can't take it anymore. It's interesting. In Jesus' humanity, he too was tempted. He was tempted by the devil to turn away from the cross. We know he did that before his public ministry began. He goes out into the wilderness and the devil tempts him. But, but even the, right before he goes to the cross in, in Gethsemane, what does Jesus pray? He prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. In his humanity, Jesus is, is feeling it. the weight of what he is about to endure is, is bearing down upon him. But then he prays, nevertheless, not my will, 
but yours be done. There's this temptation to abandon the cross. Have you ever been tempted to abandon the way of the cross? Jesus was, but of course he never sinned. Don't hear me say that. Hebrews tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You'll have great pressures in your life. You will, if you don't already. You need, and, and in those great pressures, what you need to know and be reminded of is Jesus' glory. He really is the Son of God, and He will return, and He will judge. And He will usher in the new heavens and the new earth, and He will wipe away every tear. He is the Son of God, my Savior and my Lord. Even heaven itself, what will we be doing there? Heaven will be this endless exploration of the glory of Jesus Christ. But we're not there yet. And sometimes we need these glimpses. We need these reminders of His glory to press on in the faith. Verse 1, Jesus tells that that some of them will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come with power. I think what he's showing us here is that Jesus is the kingdom of God come with power. That the glory of the kingdom is the glory of the king. And the veil of, uh, that surrounds Jesus and his humanity he is, is removed for a moment. And he gives them a glimpse of his glory and the kingdom come with power to encourage his disciples to press on, to keep going, even in the midst of their persecutions and troubles and trials. And so I believe this is the significance of the transfiguration. It's why we have this before us. To remind us of the glory of our Savior. The second question I want to ask is, what's the significance of Moses and Elijah? Why are they here? What are they doing here? Well, I think there's two things here. As we've seen on Sunday mornings, as Pastor Barkley's been going through Exodus and is sitting now in the Ten Commandments, we see Moses there is meeting with God on top of a mountain, on Mount Sinai. And while he's there, God visits with Moses and gives to him uh, the book of the law. God shows Moses his glory and he visits with him and gives him the book of the law. So we have Moses. And then in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah in a similar way meets with God too. He goes on to another mountain and he does so while fleeing, running away from Ahab and Jezebel. And he thinks he's the only believer left in the world. God, I alone am left. And what does God do in that moment? That moment of despair. God shows Elijah his glory on that mountain. That's what God does. And so Moses and Elijah, they met in their earthly lives with God in a similar way as these disciples here. But also I think we need to understand that Moses and Elijah are representatives of the Old Testament. Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets of God. And they are there to testify 
coming together to testify that the law and the prophets are all pointing forward to Christ. You see, in the law, all that it says, and in the prophets, all that they prophesy, come together and affirm that Jesus Christ is the one. The Son of God. He is the one who fulfills and completes the law and the prophets. He is the one that we are to look to. He is the one that Moses and Elijah were pointing others to. And then in verse 4, it tells us that Moses and Elijah, they're not just there as representatives, but they're, they're speaking, talking, having a conversation with Jesus. Now Mark's gospel doesn't tell us what they were talking about, but Luke does. And in Luke chapter 9, it says that they spoke with Jesus about his departure. Literally, they spoke with Jesus about his exodus. About his exodus. And I want us to consider what Jesus was going through in that moment. When we think of Jesus, we don't need to think of him like Superman. Bullets bouncing off of his chest. He's not an alien. No, he's, he's fully human. He's fully human and he's fully God. Jesus is the one who slept. He's the one who we see who weeps in sorrow. He's the one who sweats blood in the intensity of his preparation for the cross. He understands 100% what it is to be human because he was fully 100% human. He was also fully and 100% God. He was a man of sorrows. One who knew suffering. It's interesting to me in Luke 22, we see that God sends an angel to strengthen Jesus Christ as he's preparing for the cross. God sends an angel to strengthen Jesus in preparation for the cross. He needed that strengthening. He needed encouragement. And Moses and Elijah were there to support and encourage the Lord Jesus Christ to keep going. That the work that He is doing and the work that He is going to do is everything that the law and the prophets were pointing to and and speaking to and testifying to and they are telling Him to keep going. They are talking about His departure. They are talking about His exodus. That Jesus' death on the cross would mean that he becomes the new Passover, as it were. And by his exodus, he, he rescues us, not from earthly powers like Pharaoh and his army, but from the power and dominion of sin. And Jesus will accomplish this on another hill, won't he? On Calvary. Where he will offer himself up as the Lamb of God to save the people of God. It's by his blood that Jesus accomplishes an exodus for his people out of their bondage to sin and into brings them into the kingdom and family of the living God. That's what Jesus will do. And in his humanity, he needed heavenly encouragement. 
So Moses and Elijah are there talking with him about the cross, about the cross to come. It's interesting, Peter is there and he sees them talking. What does he do? He, in verse 5, he blurts out, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now we read this and we say, well, maybe that makes sense. That's perhaps he's being hospitable here. But verse 6 says he said this because he doesn't know what to say. He's terrified. He doesn't know what to say. And when Peter says this, we ought to learn from this uh, that maybe when you don't know what to say, perhaps you shouldn't say anything at all. Because Peter's words here uh, betray a failure to recognize that this transfiguration of Jesus is only a momentary blessing. Peter wants to set up a dwelling place here. This is just a moment. It's just a glimpse of the glory of Christ. It is there to help Jesus to move towards the cross. To help the disciples to move forward in their faith. It all points us to the cross. This is not the moment yet, Peter. But he couldn't see it. He couldn't see that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. Peter thought, this is the climactic moment. This is the mountain experience par excellence. But the reality is, there's no forgiveness of sins or restoration with God without the shedding of blood. So Moses and Elijah come to speak with Jesus. And then we have the cloud. What's the significance of the cloud and the voice. Well, we see the cloud in Exodus, don't we? We've heard about the, the cloud of God's presence traveling with his people through the wilderness. And the cloud is there. It shows God's protection and his presence with his people. And then later in Exodus chapter 24, Moses is surrounded by the cloud of God's presence when God speaks to him. And so Peter and James and and John, they see that the same voice that spoke to Moses back then is now speaking to the church. And what does God say? Of all the things that the Father could say in this moment, He says this, This is my beloved Son. Listen. Listen. To him. The world rejects and despises Jesus. It won't be long before he is bloodied and broken on the cross while onlookers mock him. God says, I love him. He is my son. He is doing what is ordained for him to do. And you need to know from God that God loves him. And Jesus is the Son of God doing what he is called to do. And what he is called to do is pleasing in God's sight. And so God says, listen to him. He is the one you are to listen to. So much chatter in our lives, on our phones 
24-hour news cycle, social media, our phones in our pockets. We have so many voices speaking to us. We can have trouble knowing, what should I listen to? Who should I listen to? God tells us, listen to Jesus. He is the one you are to listen to. To take Jesus' word to heart and to honor him. Are you listening to him? Do you listen to Jesus? Have you ever prayed, Lord, give me ears to hear. Give me ears to hear. Do you take to heart the word of Christ? Sometimes we can hear the the words of Scripture and just forget about it a moment later. Do you ever take it and, and meditate upon it and work it into your heart? This is the word of the glorious Son of God. God speaks here. Listen to Him. He is the one. Don't let the world fool you. He is the one. After God speaks, the disciples then look up and Moses and Elijah are gone. And Jesus is there alone. It's an interesting little detail they have here, but I think it reminds us that Jesus will have to go to the cross alone. Moses and Elijah are there for a moment. The angel will minister to him in the garden, but the work of the cross... Jesus goes to alone. It makes you wonder, though, doesn't it, that Jesus, who is the Son of God, has always been the Son of God from eternity past. And He has this glory that shines through for a moment, and it's blinding. And it's always been His. He's just put on this humanity to to cover it, and it's sort of clothed in His humanity. Why would He do that? Why would he come down into this dark and and sinful world? If that's your glory, if you are the Son of God, why in the world would you do that? The Bible tells us he does this in order to seek and to save that which is lost. To seek and to save that which is lost. It's your condition, actually. That brings the Son of God down. We are by nature rebels against God. That's who you are apart from Christ. We have broken God's law and thought, word, and indeed. Everyone here has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so God then sends his Son into the world to be the Savior of the world. To be the one in whom sinners could be reconciled to God. He came into the world for us and for our salvation. That's why he goes to the cross. That's why he endures the cross, despising its shame. You may think, man, Wouldn't it be something to have been there with Peter and James and John and just to see for a moment 
the brightness of the glory of Jesus. If only I could have been there. It would just help everything. It would solve all my problems. But I began this morning by telling you that it is even greater for you to be here today, this morning, than it was for Peter and James and John to be on that mountain on this day. Peter himself tells us this. In the book of 2 Peter, he writes this. Listen to what he says. The same Peter who is on the mountain, he says this. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on that holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. You know, Peter was there, but then the, the night he's taken to the cross, where does, does Peter remember this? He runs away. He's scared. He, he lies. I don't know Jesus. But now on this side of the cross, And the resurrection, he says, but you, you have the full word of God. It's fully confirmed. You can know the full plans and scope of what God is doing, what he will do, and how he does it. What a blessing. Almost as if Peter says, if only I had that. If only I had what you had. The same voice that spoke to him on the mountain speaks to us in Scripture. And the very same testimony is given to us today that Jesus is God's Son. Listen to him. Jesus will tell his disciples, it is for your good that I am going away. For you and I, even in our most difficult of days, we must never look back and say, only if I were there with Jesus. If only I were there on the mountain when he was transfigured. Everyone there, everyone who was there is saying, wouldn't it be a greater blessing for those who get to look back and see the fullness of God's promises? For those who have the Spirit residing in In them, the spirit of the risen Christ. The same voice who spoke to them then speaks to you today. Are you listening? Ask the Lord to open your ears to hear. To see, to be reminded of the glory of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Know who He is. Don't listen to the world. Listen to the voice of God in Scripture, and bow before it. Bow before His voice, because it is the word and the voice of your Savior. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray that you would help us to be encouraged in this life, that even in our most difficult of days, to remember, to know and grasp more fully that Jesus, you are the Christ. To you belongs all glory. And to you, in you, all the promises of God are fulfilled. And fill our hearts with hope. And I pray this 
In Jesus' name, amen.